All right, folks, this is Rabble Rousing Rich Bergeron. It's the Tornado Tony Pimico. And Psychic Tom Pet. And we finally have a guest for everybody to listen to tonight. Coming up in a few minutes, about 20 minutes. So we got to work quickly through all the other stuff that we got to talk about. And there's plenty of it. Uh, remember about, uh, probably about 40 hour maybe into uh, the last show. Maybe towards the end when I asked you, Tony, uh, what's going on with Bernard Hopkins? <laughs> Yeah, what happens? Um, well, do you want me to say it at the end? Or do you want me to say it now? Uh, well, I was going to talk about it because I got the story in front of me, but I, I guess I had a premonition or something. <laughs> I knew he was coming up on yeah. a fight or something. Well, yeah, a month shy of his 52nd birthday. He's supposedly having the final fight of his career. Now, then again, we heard that about 12 years ago almost. Um, <laughs> but um, he is fighting um, in the Forum in Los Angeles, California. I was kind of hoping he was going to end his career in Philadelphia, but I guess they got a really good deal, deal with the forum. And um, he'll be fighting Joe Smith, who scored that one-round knockout over um, Fanfara um, a few months ago. So, light heavyweight fight, and he has a, um, you know, Smith has a puncher's chance. He's a big, strong, rugged guy. Um Hopkins is going to be, you know, he's got to be the professor out there. He said he's going back. He's ditched the alien moniker, and for the final fight of his career, he's going to be the, ex- going to be the executioner again. All right. Anyway, um, so it's going to be a pretty big event. It's not just that fight, but um, <clears throat> it's going to be December 19th, uh, HBO televised. Uh, Bernard and Joe Smith Jr. in a light heavyweight fight, and it's going to be promoted by Oscar De La Hoya, so chances are uh, his nephew, Diego, will also be on the card. Um, but this all happened because Orlando Salido injured his back in training. Uh, he actually is having issues like I have from logging uh, sciatica. So uh, his bout against super featherweight Takashi Miura is... Uh, being scrapped, but they're still trying to find a bout for Mura if they can uh, scrape something together soon enough. Uh, Salido is coming in at 43, 13, and 4 with 30 knockouts, and uh, he was expected to generate another big fight of the year. Uh, Mura recently lost his World Boxing Council Super Featherweight belt to Mexico's Francisco Vargas in November by ninth round knockout, and that fight was voted. Uh, as fight of the year by the Boxing Writers Association. And then Vargas actually uh, had a draw against Salido. So it should have been a pretty decent fight. <clears throat> but it's not going to happen yet. Uh, and uh, Hopkins is coming in at 55, 7, and 2 with 32 knockouts. Uh, and he's going to turn 52 on January 15th. Hasn't fought since November 8th, 2014. When he uh, had a yeah, unanimous, against, um, unanimous decision, uh, Kovalev, Kovalev. which was the, the most lopsided loss in Hopkins' career. Right. Smith is 22 and one with 18 knockouts. Comes from Long Island, New York, and uh, it was a total upset of Andres Fonfara by uh, first round knockout back on June 18th. Just 27 years old and hasn't lost since his seventh fight in 2010. 
So, uh, tough matchup. It's just no, uh, what Tom says, yeah. likes to say, no cheap yeah. date, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it had the very good matchmaking because there's just enough intrigue. Uh, Hopkins hasn't fought in a long time. He's an old man. This is a young kid, but then Bernard is the, is the professor. So, uh, if, if I get a chance to watch it, I'm, I'm sure going to do it. Yeah, me too. And, um... I think we're going to be um, talking a lot about boxing because uh, the UFC and MMA is kind of taking a hiatus lately. We didn't have any fights uh, from the big promotions last weekend. We only got one uh, tomorrow night, uh, a Bellator card, and nothing for the UFC until November. <clears throat> but um, stuff is happening, and um, you know, I talked about last week how we had some guys that uh, were. In situations there with the UFC where they were speaking out um, and also that we had uh, some investors coming in with uh, you know a lot of celebrities signing on for a minimum $250,000 investment uh, so at that point when you read that story you think oh things must be going pretty good or you know they're getting money back from their purchase and hopefully they'll invest it somehow well this week uh, comes news of massive layoffs. Uh, they just pretty much gutted the Toronto office. And uh, I think uh, Las Vegas offices were affected, overseas offices. Uh, a lot of people got their walking papers. Uh, so Yeah, the, uh, uh, over in England, I guess. The uh, guy running the show over there is gone. So it makes you wonder what the heck is going on. I mean, if you're going to yeah. throw anybody out, I recommend Dana White, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I'd like yeah, to see him get a pink slip. I wonder why this is happening so fast in such a large amount. I mean, I'm kind of scratching my head about it, saying, well, I understand you eventually want your own people, but this is a strange way to go about doing it. Yeah, it's just getting rid of everybody. Um <clears throat> And it was something like 80% of the uh, Toronto, or Canadian, uh, Toronto was the whole Canadian office there, so. And they've got a fight coming up in Canada, so the guy that was uh, fired was out there that day promoting the fight and doing interviews, and he got fired. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, and, and the funny thing, I'm not reading a lot about who they're replacing them. No, I don't think they're replacing I them at all. About all of them. That's why. <laughs> And Jose Aldo has been in the news quite a bit this last week. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff with him. Of course, he's got uh, a beef with the UFC. said he doesn't want to fight again. He wants to be released from his contract because they kind of snubbed him with the whole uh, McGregor deal. And then allowed McGregor to not only you know fight somebody else, but go into a different division and still keep his featherweight belt. <clears throat> Um, and that will actually change if he wins. He, he, he will vacate it if he wins against uh, Eddie Alvarez. But uh, then the Eddie Alvarez situation rubbed another fighter the wrong way, Khabib Nurmagomedov. And that is really interesting stuff. But let me just finish the Jose Aldo story before I get to that. Jose Aldo claims that Dana White told him... Um, that uh, a fighters union would be a bad idea and that he shouldn't be involved in one because uh, it would be bad business for him. And um, basically he said, uh, 
Um, not only now that I'm the one being affected, but I always talked about it and defended better things for Brazilian a athletes. In a conversation, Dana himself came and told me not to take anyone's sides because the cake would be split the same for everyone, but I could get a bigger slice if I stayed quiet. So, I mean, <laughs> is that mob yeah, mentality right. or what? <laughs> That's not a good thing for your president of your organization to be caught saying. You know, you're going to get more money if you stay quiet. <laughs> but yeah. that's, that's well, how I'm they've sure operated for a long time. And I'm sure there's nothing in, on paper. Um, and then he also added that, uh, you know, they need more, but fighters are just too disunited. Uh, and, and people should forget vanity. Um, <clears throat> so, when everybody can talk, he says, nobody does. But when you feel it yourself, I think our class is disorganized, disunited. If we were more united, it would be better, for sure. Uh, nobody would do what you they know, want with us. You heard, uh, did Joe Silver resign on his own? Or, or did they get rid of him? Do you know? He resigned on his own. Uh, he's got a lot of different things he wants to get going on. And um, I did talk to Ken Pavia years ago when I was in Vegas who was experiencing his uh, being shut out from the UFC. And Ken, uh, I probably think he still is friends with Joe Silva, but back then he was really good friends. Um, but what happened with the rift between him and Dana White, uh, Joe Silva basically said to, to Ken Pavia that he, he was handcuffed by the whole situation. There's nothing he could do to help him. And uh, he pretty much said to Ken that he felt like a prisoner <laughs> Uh, to the organization because of the the deal that they set up with him and his situation there and you know they they really um, under Dana White and the Fertitas they they didn't like uh, any back talk or um, you know just the work environment I guess was very uncomfortable for Silva and I was shocked by that actually because you know I, you see him every time the match ends, he's in the ring, you know, and he seems like he's having a good time, he likes it, he's, he's got a little bit of the spotlight, people know who he is, they give him a lot of credit for the good matchups, yeah. um, but, you know, actually, it's more like the fans will say, oh yeah, that's a great matchup, and that's probably thanks to Joe Silva's work, but the organization itself, I don't think, ever gave him a lot of kudos for, for the work he did. Yeah, yeah and, and I imagine he was probably behind the scenes in um, the countdown. Right. Because they could he, they could take any two guys on that countdown and play it both ways so much. They could take boring fights and make them, I got to see this, really good at it. And I suspect that Joe Silva was pretty big in that. So we'll see if the quality of that goes down somewhat. And, uh, of course, we've also got situations with um, kind of opposite... Uh, issues here but uh, George St. Pierre is now fighting with the UFC over his contract his lawyer has called the contract uh, basically slavery um, Ooh, so fascinating uh, you know it's kind of a big deal where uh, George is saying that uh, he's his contract is non void his lawyers getting involved the UFC is still fighting for him they want him on board uh, at the same time, we've just had an announcement of Tito Ortiz versus Chael Sonnen in Bellator. So you have to think if George doesn't end up back in the UFC, he's going to go to Bellator in a heartbeat. Uh, so a lot, a lot of stuff is crazy. Stuff is happening with this UFC, and it has to make you wonder 
especially when you know as much as I know about the Fertitas, uh, why, why did they sell when they did? You know, is it does it have anything to do with the antitrust lawsuit? Maybe that's that's going to hit hard when that finally gets resolved, and they want it out before that happened, and maybe that's why all these layoffs are happening because the writing's on the wall, and they're going to have to pay maybe millions, maybe more than that. Maybe going to have to change their whole contract yeah. situation. Who knows? But well, uh, hopefully, uh, Bellator will benefit from this. Yeah. And uh, Tito Ortiz versus Chael Sonnen, uh, I hope, will be better than Tito's last fight. <laughs> Man, <laughs> well, that's a hard uh, show. Still, still has that spectacle um, element to it. Right. Kind of, kind of like the old, uh, the old UFCs back in the uh, early to mid nineties. It's still kind of a spectacle, and you got to admit, I think everyone loves a good spectacle sometimes. And then you also had uh, uh, Vitor Belfort. Who uh, got got his ass handed to him by <laughs> Gigard Mousasi at the last big UFC event? There, uh, he retired and unretired. Put out an Instagram post uh, saying, kind of hinting that he might be done. And uh, then all of a sudden, he comes out and says, "No, I'm not retiring. I'm just getting back to basics and you know trying trying to start from square one again." So, who knows what that means? But. Uh, Unbelievable stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, getting back to George St. Pierre real quick. He called the UFC contract uh, something out of the 1940s. He said they're basically tying wow. him up for life. They have no rights, and they own all of his licensing and all the other things. It's unheard of in the other professional sports, and they won't get away with it forever. Uh, he's also been involved in cases with both the NFL and the NBA. So uh, even though... The whole situation seems like it's probably not going to happen with him in the UFC again. His lawyer says that actually the relationship could be repaired. You know, St. Pierre is, is leaving the option open to have discussions, but obviously they're not going well if he's saying his contract's all done. Um, but uh, Jose Aldo did also meet with um, UFC officials in Las Vegas uh, and kind of changed his mind a little bit about, you know, at least continuing negotiations, but he's pretty solid on uh, not wanting to fight again. He's still, at this point, he does say that there is room for maybe changing that perspective, but he says, I always had my, main, my, made up, my mind made up when I said something. It was never a bluff. I have an idea in my head, and it's what I always wanted. It's what we talked about. There was no offer, nothing to think. I just gave my point of view. The esteem that I have for them and that they have for me is cool, but I think we need to go our own ways. <clears throat> so, I think, well, yeah. he he apparently uh, has had an offer to play professional soccer. If I'm oh, really? mistaken. I heard that, and and again, I mean, this is the kind of thing that as you guys know. You're either all in this or you're not. Right. I mean, this is uh, a full time full-time endeavor of being a professional fighter. And if your mind's not good, mind. you, better, you better get out. Right. And uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov <clears throat> is another fighter who is really pissed at the UFC. And um, he's actually going further than anybody has to this point uh, as far as his perspective. He's basically saying that... Uh, 
Um, he does not want to fight at all again for the UFC, just like uh, um, Jose Aldo. But uh, he's putting an extra, extra cherry on the top of his argument here. He feels like he's being used. Um, when the fight with Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor materialized, uh, Khabib actually says he had two contracts in hand. Uh, and they basically used him to get Eddie Alvarez to agree to fight Conor McGregor instead. And just totally gave him the runaround, uh, according to him. He's undefeated, uh, Russian guy, and... He says that he understands that negotiations are part of the sport, and he but he was essentially being used as a tool to force Alvarez's hand into making a decision to face him at UFC 206 in Toronto or sign on a dotted line for the McGregor bout in November instead. <coughs> and uh, he's still fighting uh, Khabib. He's going to fight Michael Johnson on the same card in New York, but he said he's going to have going to give them an ultimatum. He says, if the UFC doesn't give me this title fight, title shot after this fight, I don't care about unanimous decision, split decision, submission KO. After this fight, if I win, I deserve my title shot. If I don't fight after this fight for the title, I'll never fight in the UFC no more. <laughs> he says, because I deserve oh, it. Very simple. Give him the shot. Yeah, He says, I deserve it. I'm undefeated. I never lose. Eight and a half years, I never lose. Yeah, and, uh, I would agree. And that's not only, that's only threat. He, he also says uh, that uh, he can have some real power when it comes to the country of Russia. And uh, he says uh, the UFC will never, ever go to Russia if this happens. He doesn't get his title shot. He says, if I don't fight after this fight for the title, I never fight in the UFC, and the UFC never, ever go to Russia. <laughs> uh, and oh. they've coveted a move over there, and, and you know they haven't pulled the trigger to make it happen, but uh, Nurmagomedov says he's got some power there. He knows some important people, and uh, he's going to show how much power he has in Russia. Uh, well, I, I would agree. I mean, Putin's a big, uh, a big fan. Right? So he says, because if the UFC so he, thinks... He he may have the ultimate power right to the top, you know? Right. He says, because if the UFC thinks Connor has power, I have power too. And I'm going to show this power. <laughs> oh, pretty wild stuff. And then, uh, of course, Connor McGregor has got to uh, open his big jaw and uh, start flapping his gums. And he ba basically comes out and says, quit your bitching to everybody who's complaining. Uh,. Which is not surprising. But the way he says it, it just smacks of uh, just total bullshit. I mean, it's like he's trying to claim that everybody's there because of him. Uh, which is totally backwards. I mean, he's there because of everybody else that came before him. Uh, but anyway, he... Uh, basically wants everybody to be quiet he says tell me one time that crying and moaning tell me one time that's good for progression it's not and this was from an interview with sports illustrated he says where would you be if i wasn't here be grateful that you're even in the conversation keep your head down keep working stay focused stay positive that's the way to go forward 
Not crying, moaning, complaining. I can't engage in that. I wish them well, but I'm on something different here. Uh, yeah, that's right. They should they should work for six thousand to show and six thousand to win. Why not? Right. It's easy for a guy who's had all the luck in the world when it comes to you know his yeah. rise to power, so to speak, as you know the 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 number one money fighter in the UFC. But um, you know yeah, there was a lot of luck to do. Very, yeah. A lot of luck and a lot of uh, just. Being an asshole, basically, is what got him. Yeah, I, I mean, this, being this a guy that people love to hate. Creating goodwill, kind of, kind of that. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. Right. And he's never been quiet. He's he's come. I mean, maybe he doesn't complain and bitch about situations, but you know, you know, don't tell people to be quiet when you're the loudest and most obnoxious fighter in the whole organization. Yeah. You know, how, how did you get to where you were? You, you were a loudmouth. So, you know, it's it has a lot to do with speaking out. Progression. You know, you won't... Saying you won't progress if you complain, yeah. You know, that's unfortunately the way the UFC operates in a lot of situations and the way they have operated for years. Uh, but this is a new day and age, and you can't tell people to just shut up and truck on when they're getting basically hosed. Especially the lower tier fighters. I mean, five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars for a three-round fight when you have to fly everybody in and you know try to pay all your travel expenses and all that bullshit. I mean, it's it's not worth it. <clears throat> so you know their yeah, future I, I, is especially those guys coming from Asia. All right. Uh, I was reading something about one of these Koreans, um, and plus they've got to pay for for their guys on an international flight. And they have to come here to get used to the time change. Right. Anyway, we got to uh, jump on the phone here with uh, Joey Vizi in a minute. Let me connect him. And then we'll get to the uh, boxing and Bellator schedule since we don't have any other stuff. Oh. Hopefully, I don't have to unplug my mic to hear him. <laughs> that looks like it's connecting. I don't hear any ringing. This person cannot be oh. reached at the moment. Please leave a message oh. at this tone. After you leave a message, you can modify it by pressing pound. Hey, Joey, this is Rich from Fight News Unlimited. Uh, we're trying to get you on the Combat Sports Show here. And uh, we'll guess we'll try again in a few minutes. Got to send Yano an email too. There's another one thanks to uh, Matt Yano. Matt uh, Yanofsky. I, think, I don't know if he officially changed his name to Yano or what, but <laughs> he's uh, that's what he's most known. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would be kind of humorous. <laughs> Yano? Like Vinny Pad, he ends up changing the Vinny Pad. Right. All right, we're going to just shoot off a quick email, and then we'll try him back. Matt's usually up at this time, I would think. He's living the Florida life now, too. I don't know if you heard that, Tony, but he already he, he, he got, got right out of New York and moved to Florida. Must be nice. Yeah, I think I did hear that. <laughs> Must be real nice. 
especially nowadays. Actually, we had a 70 degree day up here yesterday. It was pretty nice. We were in the mid 80s. Wow. Wow, you got even better than we did. All right, so uh, let's go to the Bellator card real quick while we're waiting. Schlemenko versus Grove. Um, it's going to be the big Bellator 162 main event. And uh, Kendall Grove there, former UFC fighter. Uh, other Bellator news today. They've called off uh, Kimbo Slice's son as uh, his Bellator debut. There's been canceled they're calling it but uh i don't know what's what the reason is because at the same time i heard that i look at my email and there's um open workout photos <laughs> with uh baby slice in them so i'm wondering uh you know what the heck happened uh, there's not much explanation as far as i know yet but uh, i did hear that that uh that fight is off anyway uh Shlomenko comes back after a little bit of a hiatus some contract issues and uh, I believe there was some type of uh, commission issue too with him but uh, off the top of my head I don't remember exactly what it was but Alexander Shlomenko comes in at 53 and 9 uh, pretty decent record for, for MMA these days uh, fighting Kendall Grove who's got 23 wins and 15 losses Co-main event, uh, Bobby Lashley, 14-2, fighting Josh Appelt, who is 12-5. And, and I am really hoping that somebody gives Bobby a run for his money because he has just tossed people around every fight he's had recently and uh, just made a lot of people look silly. And it's just basically all wrestling for him. I mean, he doesn't really knock people out a lot, but <clears throat> if, he d if he did have better hands, he'd be real dangerous. <laughs> But he doesn't have a lot of competition. That's the problem. There's just not any superstar Bellator heavyweights that he can face that are going to give him that run for his money. So we'll have to, we'll have to hope that Josh can uh, at least hang with him a little bit. Uh, also, we've got uh, one of the former interview subjects, Ryan Couture, on the card. He is 10-4, uh, and four, fighting Goiti Yamauchi, who is 19-3. Uh, we got Hisaki Kato. Six and two, uh, probably most famous for knocking the crap out of Joe Schilling. Uh, AJ Matthews is his opponent, coming in at eight and five. And then uh, we got Ricky Rainey, eleven and four, fighting Gilbert Smith, twelve and five. Uh, and uh, Kevin Ferguson Jr. is still listed on the card, but he is not going to be fighting Ronnie or Rick Bing. Uh, we got another fight. Uh, Virgil Zwicker coming in. Hold on. I lost it. Anyway, uh, here's another one. Steve Garcia, 6-1, fighting Ronnie Lawrence, who's 1-0. Julia Budd in a female fight here, 8-2, fighting Arlene Blenkow, who's 7-5. We got Chase Gormley, 13-5, fighting Bobby Brintz, 17-5. Eric Anders, 4-0, fighting Brian White, who's 5-4. Dan Charles, 10-3, with one draw, fighting Virgil Zwicker, who is 14-5-1. We got Tyler Hill, undefeated, 6-0, fighting Dave Johnson, who's only got one loss to his 10 wins. Fourth fight of the night will be James Wallace, 1-0, versus Jonathan Burdine, 
four and four. Defeated fighters in the third fight of the night: Omar Johnson five and zero oh, and Jaleel Willis six and zero. Oh. Uh, we've got uh, second fight of the night. 10 and 11 is Chad Cook's record going in against Grady Hurley, who is 9 and 1. And then the first fight of the night, Mike Wessel, 14 and 8, fighting Frank Tate, who is 4 and 1. And, and uh, really not a lot of huge names fighting in boxing this weekend either. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy fabulous, but uh, I will... Check out what we do have. Uh, right off the bat, I want to give us the uh, what I what I think is probably the mismatch of the week, even though I haven't gone through all the matches uh, that uh, are on the schedule. But uh, this one comes from Japan. It's going to be tonight, actually. It's not already over yet over there. I don't know what the deal with the time difference is, but Hisashi Amagasa. He is thirty. Got thirty wins, six losses, and two draws at featherweight. He is fighting Carlo Demakilo, who is six and two. Lost his last two. <laughs> so, six wins versus 30 wins. That's uh, a pretty tough one. Even though he doesn't have a losing record there, Demichello, but that's a wild one. Then we've got uh, way down on that same card, uh, Tomomi Takano. He is 8-2 at featherweight, fighting a guy named Nachakamon Chanthasri, who is 0-2. 8-2 and versus 0-2. That stinks. All right, what else we got going on? Uh, over in Queensland, Australia, we got a couple titles on the line. Uh, IBF Intercontinental Welterweight title on Friday night. Jeff Horn will be fighting 14-0-1 at Welterweight, fighting Rico Mueller, who is 20, 20 wins, 1 loss, 1 draw. That's his record. And then we got a female title, the WBC Silver Female Super Bantamweight title. Between Shannon O'Connell, 13-4-1, and Edina Kiss, who is 10-1. And, and if that ain't enough, we got undefeated Damian Ezekiel Bonelli, 23-0. Fighting Rohan Murdoch, who is 8-1. 18-1, sorry, at super middleweight. And we got fights in Colombia, China... Kinds of stuff going on. Well, nothing huge in China, but uh, a lot of fights on that card. France super welterweight title on the line over in France on Friday. Kamal Mohammed, 19 and three, fighting Joffrey Jacob, who is 13 0 and one there. And then the WBC Mediterranean heavyweight title on the line with uh, Rafael Tranche, seven and zero, fighting Gabriel Enguema, who is seven and two. Uh, we have uh, a Mexican fight, of course. We've got a lot of fights in Mexico every week. But uh, this one's for the vacant WBC Latino welterweight title. And finally, we got a couple actual Latinos, it looks like, fighting for this. Uh, Mauricio Pintor, 19-2-1, fighting Fernando Marin, who is 13-0-3. All right. Yeah, else we got going on. 
course, we got to have a, uh, a an opponent to talk about here. The UK fight here. Whoa, look at this guy, Kevin McCauley. He is he's got 11 wins, 127 losses, and nine draws. Ouch! Fighting. Eight and a half percent. Fighting Simon. Okay, well, what, would, what would that be in a, a batting average in the major leagues? I wonder. Uh, like, it would be pretty horrible. What would that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's fighting Simon Bowater, who is two and zero at welterweight. So, good luck. Good luck getting your twelve for one there. Experience advantage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got another uh, vacant heavyweight title on the line. I like your way of thinking. I was in a work seminar today. I had to go into the city, and it was about managing change and, you know, about, like, how to combat negativity and all that. And the one thing is, because, you know what, when you get, you know, faced with anxiety and difficult decisions and challenges and all that, sometimes you have to just focus on the positives. You need a positive frame of mind. See, and that's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Zen meditation and cognitive behavior therapy and stoicism all combined. Yeah, Tom's, yes, sir. Tom's actually going to be his, in his corner. He's got he's got to hop on a flight to, yep. tonight to get over there. Yep, uh, <laughs> he's going to give him a pep talk. Uh, no linguistic programming. More <laughs> dynamics here. I'll get him going. Yes, sir. Anyway, we got some uh, good fights over in Ontario, California on Friday as well. We got a uh, vacant NABF junior heavyweight title on the line between Laron Mitchell, who's undefeated with 14 wins, and Scott Alexander, who's 12-1-2. And then we got another undefeated fighter, Juan Ruiz, coming in at 16 and 0 for a super welterweight bout with Wilberth Lopez. It's a weird name. I've never heard anybody called Wilberth. Uh, his record is 15 and 5. <coughs> I don't know where that one comes from. Uh, then we got one in Lincoln, Rhode Island, tomorrow. Uh, Jimmy Birchfield is the promoter, CES Boxing, and he's act he's actually working with the uh, the guys up in Maine, uh, New England fights that I've been involved with a little bit. Uh, and uh, they actually had to call off their first televised event they were supposed to do because they, they just couldn't get anybody to sign and, you know, get fights going. So it's had a bunch of issues, but they're still going to work together. And uh, this one, really, the main event is the only one uh, really worth mentioning. Um, although I do recognize one of the names on here from the amateurs. I've got probably videotape of this guy, Gerald Schifoni, who is uh, 3-0-1. I believe he's from my hometown of Dorchester. He's uh, fighting Ray Oliveira Jr., who is uh, 5-0. So somebody's always going to go here at Super Welterweight. That's the co-main event. The main event is for the Universal Boxing Federation International Super Welterweight title. And uh, Kiari Gray Pitts... 13 and 1 at Super Welterweight will be fighting Chris Chapman, who is 14 5 and 1. I believe I've seen Chris fight too at a professional event in Boston. That should be a good one. Uh, <clears throat> see, we're getting into Saturday now. What's we got on Saturday? Here's a big one in Vienna, Austria. The uh, female super flyweight titles are on the line here. Eileen Olszewski, who is 10-6-3 at super flyweight, will be fighting Eva Voraberger, who has got 20 wins, 5 losses. 
and we've got the IBO WIBF uh, GBU female world super flyweight titles all three of them on the line in that one and then we got uh, a flyweight bout uh, another female flyweight bout for the WBC silver female flyweight title so we got a super flyweight fight and a flyweight fight uh, the flyweights are Raja Amashe, who is 19-0-1, and Ana Arazola, who is 25-11-3. Oh, we sure have a lot of titles anymore, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. I, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, again, I go back to my two old favorites, Zale and Graziano, if we could have these guys on as a guest, you know. And we'd be trying to explain all this stuff to them, how to... <laughs> you know, well, what you guys talking about? I always thought there was eight. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Where do they come up with this? All you know, they say something like, well, what are all these letters? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, <sighs> Wow. All right, uh, we're going to get through this, and then we're going to give uh, Joey a call back. Uh, we got uh, some big ones up in Quebec as well on Saturday at the Bell Center. Gislan Maduma, 18-2 and two at super lightweight, fighting Ricky Sismundo, who has got 30 wins, 9 losses, and 3 draws. We've got David Lemieux back in action. He is 35-3 and three at middleweight, fighting Christian Fabian Rios, who is 21-7-3. I guess that's Fabian. Uh, Steven Butler also on the card. He's undefeated with one draw, 17 wins, fighting Jenks Trotter, who is 10-3-1. That's for the vacant IBF North American Super Welterweight title. And we got Mian Hussein, 16-0, fighting Silverio Ortiz, who is 34-18-0. Uh, also, Demetrius Ballard, 14-0, fighting Gergo Horvath, who's 9-1-1. Not a bad fight on this card, really. A lot of other ones, but we won't mention them all, so we got to get to the uh, interview. All right, getting into late Saturday stuff. See if anything else pops out here. The vacant uh, World Boxing Federation World Super Welterweight or Super Lightweight title is also on the line in France this weekend. Christopher Sabire, 24-9-1, fighting Martin Antonio Kogi, who is 33-6-3. Here's an interesting one uh, over in Berlin. Sergei Guliakovich. He is 42-5 and five at middleweight, fighting Ibrahim Goymus, who is 9-0. and oh. It's a tough one. And we got the vacant WBA Intercontinental Featherweight title. Carmine Tomasoni, who is 15-0, fighting Jesus Antonio Rios. So there's our Jesus fight of the week. Jesus is 35-8-1. That's probably it till Sunday, but let's get uh, Joey on the phone. Gave him a little more than five minutes. <laughs> Hello, Joey. 
coming a little broken up. Can you hear me? Okay, let me let me call, try calling you right back. You're you're wicked broken up. Let me call you right back. You guys can hear me fine, right? Tom? I can hear you. Alright. How about now, Joey? Can you hear us now? Yeah, a little bit better. Yeah, a lot better. Alright. So you got a big fight coming up, right? Can you tell us a little bit about your opponent? What you know about him? I'm out here in Winchester, where my, in the town where my fight's going to be on Saturday night. My pro debut. Pro oh, debut. Nice. Awesome. So, what do you know about your opponent? Um, his name is Alberto Delgado. He's got one fight. He fought. He fought to a draw, and that's really about all the information I know about him. I know he's coming down from middleweight. I myself am going to be for the most of my career a welterweight, which is 147. But for this fight, the weight limit's 151 pounds since he's coming down in weight. We made a catch weight for it. But, uh, yeah, that's about all I know. His name is Roberto Delgado. He had one fight and he fought to a draw. But the way I look at it when it comes to boxing, it's not about my opponent, what he does. It's about how I prepare and what I go in there and do what I got to do. Right. So since you're only about 48 hours away, I mean, What's what are your emotions right now? Like, what are you feeling? I mean, are you just like chomping at the bit almost? Um, no, right now I'm actually pretty relaxed. Actually, uh, Jake, my manager, is inside the Motel Six that we're staying at, getting the room. So I'm pretty much just relaxed. Relaxing my weight's on point, so I'm just I'm really just relaxed. I'm excited. I'm excited mainly because it's my professional debut. But I've had over a hundred amateur fights and three national titles, so most of the nerves are aren't really quite there no more. It's more just gotcha. excitement, ready to go, take it to the next level. But, yeah, right now I'm pretty much just relaxed and staying focused, getting ready for the uh, Saturday. Almost like another day in the office, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, just another day at work. Hmm. Now, what would you say is uh, your favorite punch? Do you have one? Oh, of course, the left hook to the body. Mickey Gore is one of my favorite fighters. Again, oh, love it. The left, left hook to the body, but then the jab is the key to the front door of the school of boxing. So my left exactly. hand is kind of the trick hand. I got power on the right, of course. I'm right-handed, but the left hook to the body, that's definitely the money punch. Yeah, one of the favorite signs I ever saw at a gym was, uh, when in doubt, jab out. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and talking about that left hook to the body, it's, you know, and especially, as you said, being a right-handed fighter, you know, if you could land that right hand upstairs and get them, you know, looking at that and keying on that and they start losing focus on that left, that's a beautiful thing. You know, because yeah. I'm, I'm another one I share that punch with you. That's my favorite as well. And Me too. I, I watched him make sure I was privileged enough to go to his last fight with Arturo Gotti in 2003. And, you know, just watching them body shots, you know, even, even at 50 years old now, you watch him hitting the bag and it's like, you can just see the way he, it, it, it's perfection, the way he throws that punch. Hey, it really is. And you know what's even better than a left hook to the body? It's two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I never saw Mickey fight, but I broke up a fight with him. 
<laughs> one time uh, at a bar. That was kind of funny. Yeah, it was a party. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was participating in this uh, Battle of the Badges event, and uh, all these guys got in a tussle. That I don't even think they were with the boxing crowd that came there, but they, they got in this big tussle. Everybody's throwing chairs around the bar, and me and Mickey are over there breaking people up. <laughs> it was uh-huh. funny. It was funny. But anyway, back to you. Um, what's your uh, imp- What's your most important goal uh, with all this boxing and all that? Well, my most important goal is my goal, my career Your goal. Ult- is, ultimate well, I, goal. I want to be just the uh, star of the local star, the the man from Baltimore, even the man from Maryland, the East Coast. I want to be a household name throughout the whole world. I want people, every country of the world, to know my name. I want everyone to know who Bazooka Jovizi is. All right. Next day, La Jolla. There you go. All right. Um. <clears throat> And uh, what's it like? What's the scene like there in, in uh, Baltimore as far as boxing? I know they've got uh, a lot of uh, local shows and everything like that. I think I post some stuff about oh, yeah, them on my blog. I mean, just, just my promoter alone, Jake, he holds an amateur show probably every six weeks locally. Actually, lately he's been holding right there, right in Glen Burnie, right about two miles from my house, which is awesome. But boxing's big in Baltimore. Boxing's always been been great in Baltimore. We've always had great fighters, especially there's a lot of guys coming up through the amateur ranks and really the DMV area, which is Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. But, yeah, Baltimore is great. Big in Boston, there's, I couldn't even give you a number of gyms there are in Baltimore alone. There's there's really countless, and they're always moving around and always adding new and losing them. But Boston's big in Baltimore, and I, I, I love Baltimore. I love Baltimore Boston. That's the name of my gym, the Baltimore Boston Fitness. Awesome. And uh, how about uh, role models, either inside or outside the sport? You got anybody that you have to watch when they fight, or anybody outside the sport that really helped you out? Well, my role model boxing is Oscar De La Hoya. He's my favorite. With then Mickey Ward's probably my second. But no, I don't have any per se role models outside the sport of boxing. But De La Hoya and Mickey Ward—they're my two favorite. I say they're my role models. De La Hoya would be in my role model. Awesome. Except for his uh, outside the ring activities, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that's a, that's a little different. I'm talking about what he did inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's a little different. And outside the ring, I just try to be the best person I can be. All right. Um, and what's the most important thing you do to get ready for a fight? To get ready for a fight? Yep. Uh, I don't think there's I don't think there's one thing per se I could say is the most important, but maybe if you want to put it to one thing would be discipline. Discipline is definitely most important, but that there's a big in boxing. There's a lot of things you got to be disciplined about. You got to be disciplined about your road work, your nutrition, your your work inside the gym, your physical. Can, it's endless, but I definitely say discipline is the biggest thing in boxing. You got to be disciplined. If you don't got discipline, nothing's going to really work for you. And um, I don't know if you know this, but we got a we got a resident psychic on the line with us. We call him Psychic Tom. So he, he, How you doing, Joey? Psychic Tom. Yeah. He's gonna read okay, your tea well, leaves. Uh, first off, uh, you know, I was watching a little bit of your uh, training on YouTube, and uh, let me congratulate you on the discipline you have. You're not just talking about it; you're doing it. And what I like about it, uh, you give major uh, give a major shout out to your dad. I just love his rules. You got to keep the grades up or no boxing. And it seems like oh, your dad sure. 
that your dad's firm, but he's very fair, and I know he's in your corner all the way, and that's that's got to mean so much psychologically because, as you know, Joey, this this game is so mental. It if your mind's not right, forget about it. I'm telling you, yep. just you know, you've got, you've got the body background you have. I mean, you're a very young man chronologically, but the most mature young man I've ever talked to. And I think a lot of good things are happening here in the future. You just oh, stay, on, very much. stay on the path. And, and you sound like you're quite a, uh, quite a student. And I would urge you to study, study the history of the game. Study a lot of those old school fighters because, you know, they had a lot to offer back in the old days. And especially their mindset. I mean, those guys just bought, bought it. You know, they were fighting all the time. And uh, it's a fascinating history of boxing. So every chance you get. Oh, for sure. My, my father is a huge Roberto Duran fan, and he really likes all them fighters from the 70s and 80s. I, I probably watch, I watch more fights from the 70s and 80s than probably any, any other time there's, they've been on video. I'm always watching fights from the 70s and 80s with my dad. That's cool. Yeah. Good I, I, a lot of good fights. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm from the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, that era myself. And it just seemed like it was a golden age of boxing back then. Every weekend there yeah. were big fights on television and uh, just uh, some exciting stuff. So you can learn a lot of history. And even going back further, you can, uh, you know, get on YouTube and check out some of those old ones, uh, you know, and go back to the 30s and 40s. A lot of interesting stuff going back to Jack Dempsey's time. Oh, and yeah. yeah that's kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, kind of interesting with the trading methods, too. That um, The cool thing about now is there's so many different things to do but you still don't want to too, stray too far away from what's always worked, and I'm sure you know that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, things work for a reason. Sure. And uh, actually, it kind of reminds me, you know, if you're, if you're watching a lot of tape, that's exactly what another big fan of the left hook used to do, Mike Tyson. And, uh, you know, he's had his Broadway show now where we, re we really explained uh, a lot about how, how he and Cuss used to get along. And, you know, Customato used to pretty much show him every heavyweight fighter who ever lived <laughs> on tape. And uh, Mike would stay up all night watching these fights. So just goes to show you that, you know, sometimes you really have to watch all the other fighters yeah, to really... Yeah, you Get your best I mix. agree. You learn. You learn from what you see. You gotta. You gotta see it. You gotta see it sometimes before you can even understand what, how to do it yourself. Yeah, and I, we've actually talked to a lot of fighters. Where we ask them, you know, uh, do you follow the sport? You know, do you have a favorite fighter? And they go, No, nah, I really don't watch it at all. And I, I just, I'm like, Really? <laughs> how could you oh, just man, love, not watch anything? Boxing. Old boxing, new boxing, everything, especially the stuff that's happening right now. I'm always just watching boxing. That's I, yeah, I'd rather stay in and watch fights than do anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the way it's got to be, Joe. It, 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 it's not like it's a halfway commitment. You know, people that aren't in the fight game just can't understand that this is not something that you do on occasion. I mean, this is a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah you're 100% right, yep. That's it, what I say. Boxing's not my sport. It's my life. Exactly. And, and there's an old cliche. If you disrespect fighting, it'll disrespect you. That's so not yeah, it's a very serious business, and uh, like I used to tell people when I was training, I'd say, you know, fighting uh, is a very jealous mistress. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you just got to just surround yourself with positive people. Um, that's just so important. I remember um, there was a, um, a middleweight fighter, well, lightweight fighter, actually, Carmen Basilio. Oh, yeah, yeah, and and I loved his attitude because he was going to be fighting Sugar Ray Robinson, and 
uh, Howard Cosell, uh, who was around even back in those days, but Cosell said to him uh, the day of the fight, he says, Carmen, uh, I, I uh, pulled 16, uh, 16 reporters, and 15 of them said, you don't have a chance to win this. Robinson's going to win. And Carmen just looked at it, didn't even blink, and said, 15 of them are wrong. That's the attitude you've got to have, you know, and you know that if you've trained and if you've trained in the right way and you're confident, you're mentally prepared, there's no other attitude to have. I'm going to find a way. And I like what you said earlier about the fact that you can't be too concerned about what your opponent's going to do. You've got to focus on what you're doing. Yeah, it's all about you. Yeah. Exactly, Joy. And that is a winner's mentality because if you get... You can't control how your opponent's going to train or how, you, how your opponent's going to come after you, but you have total control over your conditioning and your game plan. And yeah, that that's definitely right. That is a winning mindset, so I'm very proud of you. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, Joe, you said you had over 100 amateur fights, so it kind of makes me wonder, how did you first get started in, in the game, and what were what was some of your greatest accomplishments as an amateur? Oh, well, actually, I got started, I don't, it's not even like a set day I can say walking into a gym. My father, Vince Vizi, he was actually training fighters over at the Brooklyn Boxing Club. It's no longer open. It closed by 10 years ago. It was owned by uh, Danny Kistner, who's another big trainer from Baltimore. But uh, my dad was actually fighting in tough man contests in West Virginia, but we were living in Maryland at the time, so he was uh so he was training there, and my dad always kind of been in boxing his whole life. Had not really had many fights with you in the military, and like I said, fought a few tough man contests. But he, uh, once he, after he fought that last tough man contest, Danny, who was the head trainer at the time and the owner, was like, hey, you know your stuff. The kids around the gym like you. How about you stick around and maybe you, you just help out around, maybe help the coach be a trainer or whatever. And, he kind of just stuck around to it, and I've always been in the gym ever since I was crawling around. So the gym was like me and my little brother's babysitter. I was crawling <laughs> around. He was sitting in like the little baby, the little baby bucket, sitting on the front desk, and we just we just grew up in the gym. All the teenagers, the amateurs, and the guys who were first becoming pro. When I was a little kid, they were like my role models. So I've just always grew up and wanted to be a fighter. Started working out and stuff when I was like five years old. Having exhibitions when I was six, and I had my first amateur fight. A couple weeks after my eighth birthday, I mean, I just always grew up doing it. I had 101 amateur fights. My record was 80 wins, 21 losses, and I have to say my favorite accomplishment has to be when I was 11 years old, the first time I won the National Silver Gloves. Like, that was just a, that was a tournament. Everyone wanted to win, and out of all the people from my whole region, being all the way from pretty much from Maryland all the way down the east coast of Florida, there's only, there's only two people from my whole region from the, my whole region that won it that year we, it was like one of the worst years we ever did in our region being region three and me and a dude i'm sure you heard of him dusty hernandez harrison we we're the only two people from our region to want it to win it that year so it was just that was definitely my biggest accomplishment my favorite one that's good company <laughs> yeah, exactly. good company awesome and um what would you say is uh the the top thing uh, right now, I mean, um, obviously this is your, you're just getting into the pros, but um, are you, like everybody else, you want to get the world title? Uh, and is there anybody out there that you'd particularly like to fight? 
No, right now there's no one out there I particularly want to fight. I just want to build my name, my fan base. I already got a pretty good one. I got a big crowd from the Baltimore and uh, Maryland region coming down to make the trip to Winchester for me on Saturday. We're really just getting my name out there, building my building my name up to who I am, and just keep growing as a fighter, learning as a fighter, making myself the best I can be. And one day I want to win world titles, make of course make a bunch of money and be popular. And I, I really do. I want to I want to be known throughout the whole world. I want to be a household name. I don't want to just be the, the local hero. I want to be the I want to be the champ of the world, the hero, the boxing man of the world. I want everyone to know who Bazooka Jovizi is. Sweet. And uh, I'm going to put some words in Tony's mouth since he's been quiet for a while. And okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell you to ask it, Tony, because you usually ask it better. But uh, how about the switch question? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, Rich. <laughs> and, and Joe, this is a question um, that's one of my favorite ones to ask. This comes back from, you know, my days as being an amateur fighter. Um, even when I train now, just working out, just for fun, it's, it's a mentality question. Now, my um, time when I'm getting ready, whether that's for a fight or whether that's for a really intense training session or sparring session, I always ask, when do does your mind, um, like, when do you put the game face on? And I say for me, it would be in the dressing room my, when my hands got taped. That was like putting on my, um, my, my gladiator shield. And I even did an interview a couple years ago because I do a gimmick now um, uh, at the Philadelphia Phillies baseball games. And I dress up kind of like an Uncle Sam, Apollo Creed kind of combination. And they were interviewing me one time. And, they're like, and I'm like, when I do this, it's like I become a different person. It's like a Clark Kent turning into Superman. I said, it kind of stems from my old boxing days when I got my hands taped and I put the trunks on. The mentality switched. It became game face. It was like, it's, it, you know, it's like uh, suiting up. So... To ask you that question, when does your game face officially come on? Well, from it's kind of close, maybe a little bit later on in the night. For me, I'm kind of like a happy guy, playful guy. I like to mess around. I like I've been I've been doing this ever since my basically my whole life boxing. So it's kind of like second nature. Another day in the office, just like we were talking about earlier. So for me, I would say, well, pretty much the whole time in the dressing room, I'm relaxed, all smiles, happy, like to talk to people, do whatever happening. I'm just have to go lucky, but once once I get the tape on, I'm kind of more just relaxed, cooling, whatever. But once I put them gloves on and then I say my prayers, I go over in the corner, I hit my knees, say a couple of prayers, talk to a couple of my dead relatives that are looking over, topping me up above. Then boom! Once I have them gloves on, it's time to touch the mitts. It's it's go time. That's I'm I'm very I'm very respectful for whoever I'm fighting. But when we're in that ring, he's my enemy, and I, I hate that person while we're in the ring. So. Once I put them gloves on and tuck them mitts and hit my knees and say my prayers, it's go time. It's it's time for war. It's, I don't care who I don't care who you are. It's my job to go in there and take you out. And you know, and it's funny that you say that, being like you know the happy-go-lucky and you know just great personality. And I can tell that from talking to you. Yeah, you are very much a people person, and you know, and and I feel myself like a lot of it the same way. You know, funny like the joke around and everything. And for me, the reason I had to start transforming myself so early was to kind of, you know, get that, you know, psych myself up into that killer instinct type of mode. And I used to always 
you know, and I still joke about it. I would say people are talking about like running and people that run marathons and all stuff. Like that. I went, man, I hated running. Mm-hmm. I still do. I said running, I hated it, and that was actually the one thing that helped me get my mentality focused was because I hated it so much that because I got to fight you, it's because of you that I got to do something I hate, which mm-hmm. is run. And <laughs> God damn it! And now I got I can't go out and have a couple beers tonight because I got to train for you. You're you're forcing me to one have to run. Two, give up my Italian food because I'm Italian. And three, give up my beer and my wine and all that stuff. And I can't stay out late tonight. So when I get in that ring, you better believe I'm taking it out on you because you're yeah, really hey. unfortunate on me. I say, I say the same thing to myself. Oh, this is a, this the person that made me suffer, made me do what I didn't want to. I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm a, he's the one who made me suffer, struggler, whatever. Yeah, he's the person that made me do all this stuff I didn't want to do. So. He's got to pay for it now that I get the chance. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same exact way. <laughs> for me, it's actually when I get in the ring. I mean, <clears throat> that's when I used to box a little bit at the same time as Tony. I would have to take a punch or land a punch before I was really on my game. Like, oh, this is serious. I kind of had to be reminded that I was in a fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody's got a different, different mindset when it comes to that stuff. Um. Anyway, uh, is there anything else you want to add before we let you go? Anybody you want to thank or give a shout out to? Oh, well, I definitely want to thank my father, being Vince Beasley. He's he's the reason I got into boxing, and he's pretty much taught me almost everything I know. Of course, I've had help by many people along the way. I'd also like to thank Jake the Snake Smith, my manager, who's been looking after me ever since my very first amateur fight in Ocean City, Maryland, and then. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to Hal Turnoff, who's going to be working cuts and wrapping my hands on Saturday night. And just, just since I get the second minute to do it, I'd like to say hi to my mom, Irene, at home, and my little brother, Sean Speedy Beasy, who's had a few amateur fights. But uh, nah, that's about all the shout outs I got to say. But I would like to say for everyone that's listening, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe P underscore VZ, J O E P underscore letter V, letter Z, and on Facebook as Joe Bazooka VZ. And on all your posts, ha- make sure you hashtag Team Bazooka all caps so we can, uh, <laughs> I can make sure I reply and say thank you to everybody. But uh, and I'd also like to say thank you for you guys for having me on the show and uh, awesome. giving me such a great interview. Yeah. Awesome. We always know, pleasure. I always say we always know we got a great guest when he thanks us at the end. <laughs> right. and, 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 I, and I have to say this, Joey, my crystal ball is lighting up, buddy, and it's got a big W, okay? It's got a big W right there, and your name's underneath it. You heard it here first, <laughs> okay? Hey, sounds great, man. I hope, I hope, right. I hope it's right, and I'm going to make sure it is right. All right. All right. Go ahead. Awesome. We'll let I you keep uh, chillaxing there in your hotel room, getting ready for this fight, and uh, <laughs> we look forward to hearing more about you and uh, keeping keeping track of your career for sure. Yeah, sounds great, guys. Thank you for having me anytime. All right. And, and don't forget us. Don't forget us now when you're moving up the ladder. We're we'll having you back <laughs> for sure. Not anytime. Yeah, please have me back. I love. I love to have another interview anytime. All right. Thanks a lot. You have a good night. All right, guys. Have a great night. You too. All right. Adios. Bazooka Jovizi. I thought uh, the Italian Bazooka Mark DeLuca was a good name. <laughs> That's pretty good. Bazooka Joe. So we'll be, uh, we'll be catching up with him later at some point. During round two, so to speak. But I also like how he uh, 
he he took uh, one question and uh, added one of the other ones I usually ask. I forgot to ask, how do they find you online? But uh, he's right on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess he's a little psychic too, huh, Tom? <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. Uh, really enjoyed this with him. A young man's got his head on great. Yeah, yeah. He brought the best out of all of us on that one, huh? Everybody got some input on that. Anyway. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, still looking. So, um, I know you guys sent um, an email response, but I think it was the first time we talked about it. You guys liked the tattoo then? Oh, yeah. wow. Man, that's a, I think it's a masterpiece. Looks that like it hurt, good, isn't it? Isn't he? Love it, love it, love it. It looks like um, you get you get points just for showing it off because everybody's going to know how much that had to hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's dumb. But, you know, it's funny. Um, the, uh, the, um, today I had to go to my Center City office. First time I was there in three months. So, you know, of course I'm seeing everybody and a lot of them that are Facebook friends of mine had seen the photos and other ones that I had talked about it. And I, always, I would always say that I was getting, as I call it, ink acupuncture. <laughs> well, like, I think my insurance one. should pay for this because my insurance covers acupuncture, right. and this is therapeutic for me. So I think it's, <laughs> I think my insurance should pay for it. Right. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but when I got the dog one done back in April, I did that in one nine-hour session. Wow! And the last, I mean, it stung in the beginning, but as the more as he kept shaving over and over and over and over. It hurt more and more and more, and it, um, people have always said the ribs are much more sensitive, and I said, oh, boy, this is going to be rough, but i got to do it. i got to do this. So um, I went in there, and I booked it, and he goes, listen, he goes, I know you're a one-shot guy. He goes, and you got one of the highest pain thresholds, thresholds I've ever worked on, but even you can't do this in one sitting. He goes, I won't even let you try to do this in one sitting. I was like, and he goes, remember how much you hated life in the seventh and eighth hour of the last one? And I said, yeah. He goes, that's going to be the start of this one. <laughs> oh, boy, what am I getting myself into? Right. But, you know, personal pride kicked in, and, you know, I can't go back now. Right. So I go there for the first treatment on September 12th, and I lay down, and, you know, he puts the outline on me, and he had, like, these, like, kind of markers he was using to, you know, just fit the contours of my body. And he starts working on it, and I'm going, oh, my God, this hurts <laughs> like a bitch." But, you know, I'm working on it, and, you know, we're taking our breaks, and I'm taking some photos here and there. And then after four hours, I was like, oh, thank God we're done today. Thank God. Now, did he now just draw that up for you, or did you find that somewhere? What? That example? Did you? Did no, he? What? Did he draw that up for you? Oh, no, he drew, no, he drew. He drew that up. Oh, In right. fact, because he's a guy that he custom draws every tattoo. Awesome. And what he did on that one was he looked. He he told me about a hundred different pictures, <laughs> and that is, uh, he was looking at tornado tattoos, good ones and not good ones. <laughs> he was looking at drawings of tornadoes he was looking at just pictures of tornadoes and then he kind of started getting up something in his mind right that's really what he that's how he does his business like you never go to his shop and he would have just a bunch of like designs on the wall he refuses to do that he custom draws everything and um so he said, like, he had drawn that one up for 
mermaid. I didn't even know what it looked like till I went in there. I said, okay, yeah, let's go with it. So I'm going back for the second session two weeks later. Well, before, between two sessions, and I don't know if I did it with the one night when I was sleeping, because, you know, you know, the way I sleep, I'm usually on my side anyway, and I was kind of uncomfortable. But I don't know if I, if I turned or if I did it, you know, just doing a brisk walk on the treadmill, but I pulled a muscle. Yeah. You have, I don't know how many muscles in the body, 100, 200, I don't know. Which muscle did I pull? The one in my left rib cage. Mm. That sucks. Right where in days he's going to be doing the second job. I'm like, shit. And I'm like, it hurt enough anyway. <laughs> so that morning, I knew it was going to thin my blood a little bit, but I was like, I don't care. I popped five Motrin, <laughs> laid on that table, I dozed off. Nice. And then um, then we finished it. Um, so we did three four-hour sessions. Wow. Well, you know what the good thing is? <clears throat> Since uh, we live uh, a little bit into the northeast here, for most people that see your tattoo, that's going to be the only tornado they see in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? So... At least that up close. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's really uh, like I said last week. Uh, let's let's living up to your nickname for sure. Taking it seriously. Thank you. Tony don't fuck around with his nickname. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tony. What about uh, another dog? Have you got another dog yet, or are you going to? Um, I have not. Uh, right now we. From time to time, we'll babysit a friend's golden. Because um, we used to babysit their other golden back when Vinny was alive. And the two dogs, like, they used to play together. And um, Vinny used to get mad at her. Because um, Vinny used to like to be the attention whore. <laughs> and she would have one toy she would play with. Only one. And he would take it from her. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so we used to babysit her. And she passed away... Um, almost three years before Vinny did, and she was younger than him. And they got another dog within a year, and Vinny never met her because she was only, you know, she's two now. So she just turned two um, a month after Vinny had passed away in January, so they never had a chance to meet. Um, so they brought her over a few times, and she was a gold like See, they never really socialized her. So like, she was always friendly, but took her a long time to really warm up the people other than her own family. So the first time they brought her over just to kind of keep us company, um, you know, she would come over and, like, see us, but it wasn't like she was jumping on us. Now we babysit her so much that she sees our car pull up and she runs and jumps in the car because she knows she's going to come over to the Italian's house and we're going to be making pasta and steaks <laughs> and all that good stuff. Yeah. You know, instead of eating just, you know, instead of going over to their house where they really don't cook. Yeah, it's so, funny. I, I always, right now, I always have yeah, to get Bronson right and uh, um, we'll, we'll people ba- We'll babysit this one, you know, off and on. But I, I don't know. It took us almost six years last time, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just can't hurry that. There's no way to yeah. hurry it. And, you know, and, and as I said to other people, everybody has an opinion and everybody has something they would do. Nobody's yeah. right. Nobody's wrong. You know, yeah. we, have, we have one guy that's a friend of ours. We actually saw him tonight. Um, we, we picked up the dog when 
her mother, um, you know, was still at work, and we just took her, you know, out for a little bit so she'd get a walk, get some exercise in. Um, but he's a guy that he has to have a dog. Like, he had one dog that Vinny played with a little bit, and dog was a beagle. Dog passed away, and he was going so nuts that he was calling adoption agencies. He was doing whatever, then he finally was able to get, um, you know, the young puppy uh, from, a, from a rescue. Um, he said at the, well, said at the one time previously, he was at a, um, oh, it was not a pound, but a shelter or something, and he was having a dog put down. The dog was put down. He went downstairs and got another one. He won it. <laughs> Immediately. Wow. You know, I'm a type of guy that it's like, I'm, and, and my, my best friend, he's the same way. He had two boxers, and I used to bust on him because uh, he'd always have like um like a magnet that says, I love my boxer. I'm like, you know, Mike, I love you too, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Um, but he had two boxers, and he lost them within a year of each other. You know, they were uh, 11 and 12 years old, respectively, which is old for a boxer. And and that's been three and four years, and he is, and he even he and I were having a talk the other week, and he would even say, like, I'm not ready yet. He's like, and plus, he's having, him and his wife are expecting in a few months, but he's like, I'm not ready. And he goes, part of it, and I said the same thing when we first got Vinny, and it was wrong, and Vinny turned out more than I could ever ask for, but um, I was, like, the first night, I was comparing them to my childhood dog, Adam, and I'm like, and then I thought to myself, I'm like, that's really not fair, this dog's seven weeks old, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to compare him to, like, a dog that was so, um, like, legendary in my mind, and for right now, if I bring another dog, and, like, even sometimes I'll have Roxy over, this other dog, and I'll try to play the same games that I played with Vinny, and obviously she doesn't know and she was never trained on them so it's like you know you miss that you lose that yeah my dad's dog's name's Roxy (laughs) she's a little terrier half terrier half poodle it's funny looking a little rat dog and it's kind of weird for him because he he always had uh, the German shepherds and stuff like that you know so that was like the smallest dog he's ever owned but she goes everywhere with him. <laughs> she knows his routine so well. He he always goes to the health food store, right? And uh, when he goes there, he spends like two or three hours talking to the guy there. So when when they're on the way to the health food store and she sees where he's going, before they even park, she starts whining because she knows she's going to be left in the car for a while. <laughs> Sucks. But yeah, that's the life of a dog, I guess, sometimes. <clears throat> anyway. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Good show, good interview, and uh, we'll get it on the page and get it out to the people. All right, well, always sounds good. Always a pleasure to speak to you fine gentlemen. Yes, sir. Good stuff. And just look at the bright side. We're under a month now for uh, Warden Kovalov, and uh, a lot of bad blood there. Uh, get on YouTube and Google a little bit of that. Here's some of the predictions, and... Um, yeah, I don't know if you caught uh, my reply there, Tony, to uh, Tom's uh, video that he sent, but uh, I didn't realize how similar uh, Andre Ward's style is to Rocky's, Rocky Marciano. Yeah, I saw you say that. I, I saw your email, and I didn't get a chance to really look at it. Yeah, but, it, you know, it, that it, crouch. It's just a great breakdown. Just It just shows the, the technique of these guys, 
And you're absolutely right about that, Rich. How, how Rocky would fight out of a crotch and then jab up, yep. which is, is uh, if you can get that down right, very effective. Now, And Ward doesn't use it so much uh, as Rocky, but he definitely de- definitely has a lot of that set up. But Rocky used it, it for defense, too, a lot. And uh, Ward fights a lot. After he throws that jab and stands up, he stays up a lot and... You know, move moves around a lot, but he doesn't go back down to that crouch when he takes a punch like Rocky did a lot. That's the only difference, I think. But I mean, so similar in that approach. And and like the funny thing is that Rocky was criticized for that style. And you know, when he first started, they, they were convinced that he had to get rid of it until they saw how powerful his punches were. You know, they tried to break him of that habit at first, and and then to you know have it come full circle. Now people are copying it. That's funny. You know, especially a guy of Ward's caliber. Copying off a guy that was considered lumbering and awkward. (laughs) So, good stuff. And we'll be talking about that a lot more next week and the week after that, I'm sure. Keep sending me links, Tom. I might not respond to everyone, but I do read them. (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, that's what they're for. All right. You know, don't need to always respond to them, but I just want to keep you guys in the loop. So, Sweet. all right, guys. Let's do it up next week. Yep. See you guys All then. right. Adios. Sweet, baby.